0: beautiful Floridians, thank you so much for joining (laughs) us for another streaming edition of Florida's Fourth Estate. Hopefully you're having a good day. Of course, Orlando is the center of the news universe again, and that's what we're talking about. I'm Matt Austin. Hey, Gigi.
1: We're so happy to see you guys again, even though Orlando is, of course, the center of the news universe because well, Florida, but this week we are talking about something that a lot of people have just been so passionate about lately, and I'm so happy that we got our friend Foyle former NBA superstar who played with the Magic for a few seasons, and of course, Golden State Warriors as well. Adonald, it is so good to see you. You're out in California now, so it is super early where you are, (laughs) but you took the time to get up and be with us, and we really appreciate it because we want to talk about something that really matters now. We're talking about what's happening with the NBA. You know, Orlando, we have the NBA bubble here at Disney, and recently we're seeing the protests because of the Black Lives Matter and what's happening with the police shooting of unarmed Black men, and uh, in, in specifically in, in this country. Thank you so much for being with us uh, today. Can you just give us your thoughts on what's happening? What do you see from your perspective right now? Because you're outside the bubble, but what are you seeing?
2: No, there's, there's no question that the world have been in a different place with regards to everything that has happened to uh, the killing of unarmed black men in this country. And you can see that the, the country has taken a collective breath and is willing to wrestle. With this with this problem in a meaningful way and you but we happen to be i think in many ways in a political season so what you're seeing is that the athletes uh, in orlando is trying to figure out a space in which they can have this debate because uh, i think we tend to think that because things are happening in the larger society that it somehow doesn't affect uh you know the players because they're so sheltered and away from it but uh, you know i've always said that they're very much in the trolls of this because many of them have kids. And unlike the past is that there is a camera, uh, there is social media that it doesn't matter how far they stray from the, the, the area of where they come from, they're always going to be in tune with that area in a way that is different from in the past because they're able to connect with the, with the community through social media. So I think that this affects everybody in our society.
1: Yeah, and do you think it's important that these NBA players are really taking the lead on this? And specifically, we're talking about the Milwaukee Bucks when they were protesting uh, and not coming out for one of the playoff games against uh, the Orlando Magic recently. Yeah,
2: and I, so I think what you're seeing is that, you know, is a coming together where sports is intersecting directly with our society, and it has a pretty profound impact of what's happening. So here we are asking a lot of these players to go into a bubble situation, to leave their family behind, to really resume a season that in all intents and purposes was somehow lost. So the sacrifice was, the most extreme thing was to go into a bubble um basically leave everything you know behind to play this sport and i think in many ways these guys are all together they're isolated and they're dealing with the frustration of not seeing their family and, and a daily basis and then they're dealing with uh you know with covert and then they're dealing with this racial issues that is affecting their communities and and i think that you can't really um you can't separate the feelings of these guys as it is reflected in many of them who have kids right now. So they're they're looking at this not just as athletes, they're looking at this as parents and and, and as people that belong to a community that is that is hurting and they're very much still in touch with the people that they left behind in those communities.
0: Yeah, Adonel, uh, uh, it's a very interesting point. I think a lot of people are having a hard time understanding. It. I'm looking at our chat right now. Thank you to everybody who is weighing in. But some people have a hard time making the connection between having something that you care about and then not showing up for work. Like we've got uh, Matt Carter here saying, wish I could just tell my job I'm not coming in so I can show my support and still get paid. So can you can you explain to us why, I mean, uh, if if I got upset about something and didn't show up for work, I guess maybe a few people would, but most people, we have a different platform than NBA players, right? So can you tell us what the difference is between these guys uh, deciding to basically put their money where their mouth is and and take off
2: no so i think that what the guys them uh you know what milwaukee burks did was unprecedented we have not seen this at this level of, of uh, across different sports in our society in a very long time and i think what the modern day players in many ways are saying is like look we're not isolated from what's happening in our communities, that it affects us, right? So we are not this distant bystander that are are there to entertain you and not having this conversation. So if you think about where this started, if you think about from all the way back from Muhammad Ali, if you think of the role that sports have constantly played in the life uh, of of Americans, right? Sports have always been that instrument that kind of ruffles feathers a little bit from Tommy Smith in the 1960s, 68 olympics you've seen this throughout our sporting history we have a very rich history but i think what you're seeing today is that players are saying look is that you can't ask us to sacrifice everything we're doing in order to entertain the world and all of these things is happening we're stuck in this situation and we need to respond as a team but even with that the players have to come together they have to meet with each other and to discuss how they move forward and that is the larger thing as to whether or not they should have the right to leave their job i mean i think that we all have to get to a point. We have to make decisions that is bigger than money, that is bigger than and than ourselves, and is really about the collective good of each and every one of us. So, uh, as I said, these guys have been affected in a way. Because they're seeing these things and social media just like us, and they're affected by it very much the same. And just because they have wealth doesn't mean that they're devoid from participating in a political system. They pay taxes at a rate like higher than anybody else in this country. They're among the top um, you know, taxpayers in this country, and they should have the opportunity to engage the
1: world as they see it. And do you feel like, I feel like because we are in unprecedented times where we have Uh, coronavirus, so people are having to stay focused and in one place. And these guys are in a bubble. They almost, it's like they have tunnel vision now. This is what is right in front of them. It's almost like, wake up, look at me, you can't ignore me any longer. And I feel like that's gotten their attention as well, because they have no choice. But, so it's like this cognitive dissonance,
2: right? It's always this thing with athletes where we are on this, this stage and we're performing for the rest of the world and we're expected to not see what happened beyond the stage, right? And as I said, that, that, that the world is not like that anymore. We're very flattened globally, we're flattened locally. If you think about the natural progression, if a guy who has come from a poverty-stricken background and make it all the way to the NBA now that guy usually left that that area and then he goes on to play professional basketball and he's almost somewhat uh not as much as connected to those roots but what you're seeing is uh, because of social media because of the world as small and as flat as it has become you are seeing that they're very much uh, piped into the local communities and they're saying look we have We're seen as role models. We have millions and millions of people in social media. What is the moral responsibility for an athlete in in today's world? What is our responsibility for, uh, you know, building on what generations before have done? And I think you see in these guys wrestling with these issues in a real way that is, is, is disconcerting because I think it's a different level. But each generation of activists in sports is taking the ball a little bit higher. And I think that's what you're seeing. And whether or not you agree with it, I think what they're saying is that we are no longer going to be disconnected to the world. We're no longer going to be disconnected to what's happening in our community. And somehow we're, we're supposed to shut up and dribble. That is no longer going to be the case because we are human beings and we're very much as affected as anybody else in our know, society
1: yeah and i you know when you talk about the guy who could come from poverty get a college education and play in the nba that guy is you um <laughs> which is i mean you, you have an amazing story but i also want to point out when you say that no one is immune you had an encounter while you were in orlando that was pretty frightening do you want to share that yeah you know so i
2: i was uh i mean i was uh, when i was playing in orlando i was driving uh to the airport uh for flight i was pulled over um the the, as i got out of the car, the gentleman was very nervous he pulled he had his hand and his gun i got absolutely scared i didn't know what was going to happen and uh, you know while i was looking at him about to pull his gun on me have his hand and his gun I, he said I was speeding, uh, you know, a few miles over the limit. He p- asked me to come out of the car, and, and, and things, I can see that things starting to escalate. And the only thing that I can say was, mm. my name is Adonald Foyler with the Orlando Magic. I'm driving to the airport. Um, we have, uh, you know, uh, police officers on our plane, and uh, I'm sorry. And he eventually let me go. But I'm saying these encounters, uh, you know, that happened to be a very positive one, but it didn't have to be. And I think these are the things that people have to understand is that being a professional athlete didn't make me become immune to that reality. I had to deal with that reality the best way I know how. And the fact that I was an NBA player and I can throw that out there and say, hey, I'm an NBA player. I'm with the Orlando Magic. You know, you got to understand this. Not many people could do that. And I think that's the thing we're saying is that we're not immune. And even at our level, we still have to deal with that. It doesn't matter how much money we have In our bank account, at the end of the day, we view as how we are viewed, and we have to deal with that reality every day. So athletes are not immune to that. You talk to more and more athletes, you hear these experiences because they didn't just grow up living in a certain area. They grew up like all of us uh, from very, uh, you know, backgrounds that are not that are not um, that plated with with glass and gold. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah, Donald, you say that yours had a positive, you know, it was a positive end which means you didn't get shot. That's the right. positive ending there. Yeah. But I mean, how, I mean, cops are trained a certain way. The fact that you had to explain to him, you're 6'10 or 6'11, you get out of your car. How does he not know <laughs> that, that you are not, at a, just the average Joe driving to the airport. To me, that's stunning that you had to explain in a a matter of seconds to save your own life, basically, that you are an NBA player, that you mean no harm. And why is a gun being drawn on you or about to be drawn just for going a few miles over the speed limit? I mean, it's it's (laughs) mind-boggling. And I think
2: that's the dance, right? And I think as we become more aware of some of the the challenges. I mean, I'm in California, I've had similar situation happen to me. Um so it's it's like we we're starting to hear these stories from guys who are saying, "Look, I played in the NBA at the highest level and I I did it the best I could, but you don't know my reality once the the lights is dim and we left the arena, is that we have to face that reality as well. Talk to NBA players across this country about their experiences. you will be surprised how many of them have similar experiences to mine, how many of them are dealing with family members and kids that they're worried about. So I I think that we have to listen more uh, to to what's going on and, and at least be empathetic, that we have to say to athletes, yeah, you know, I mean, it's great that you guys are playing, but I am glad that you stand enough for something bigger than yourself because to me, you know that that's ultimately what it, What it's all about to be moral uh, in the sense that you you morally understand that it's not just about you But the society and everyone in the society being safe and I think that's what the players are trying to bring across They They're shaking us and said you have to wake up to this reality that we, we deal with every single day and imagine the numbing effect of being in a, in a bubble where we are isolated from the world and we're asked to perform and we're seeing this thing and there is nothing that we can do. We're hopeless, you know, to stop it. And they're desperately asking us to stand with them. And I think the least we can do instead of putting a basketball through a rubber hoop, we could at least listen and have a conversation.
0: Yeah. And and either way, you're caught in the middle the players that don't feel comfortable saying things. They're they're. It says you know they're not standing up, and the other ones that are. You've got a whole wing of people who are saying, "Why are you talking? You know, you should just be playing sports." So I, we got an interesting question from Judy who says, "Okay, so it, and a lot of people are curious, like." what can happen and and now they are back to work I will say the NBA playoffs right. are going to continue that's already been decided but a lot of people are wondering what the end game was you know what precisely needs to happen for them to go back how will they you know and when do they want to get that achieved and a lot of people do wonder adona like you know what can happen to me? because you know the NBA seems to be pretty supportive of this movement overall uh and when the players walk out they're sort of walking out on the nba so what are these players hoping to achieve
2: and you know adam silva has been uh, remarkable really listening to the uh, the the voices of the players and i think that the players will tell you from the onset is that look we don't expect any all anything to change overnight but what we expect is to engage the community engage the world uh, and, and and really about setting some markers the nba I think uh, recently created a fund for over 300 million dollars and their uh, LeBron James initiative trying to really uh, get the arena unleashed so there could be more voting opportunities there and some of the things that he's doing. So you've seen players are saying, look, we're willing, to, we're willing to engage. We're willing to try to figure out how to make things a little bit, um, a little bit better for the people in, in our society, people who pay for tickets, the people who come and watch us, and we should at least uh, l- let everybody know that we stand with them.
1: Yeah, so, you know, and everyone says this time, it feels a little different because people, more people are speaking up and they are acknowledging it. And I think, Matt, do you have some sound? Because I know we've all heard it, but I'd like for you to listen to this sound from Doc Rivers and then get what, your opinion on the other side of it.
0: It's amazing why we keep loving this country and this country does not love us back and it's
2: just, it's really
1: so sad. Yeah, it—it it, it is, I mean, when I heard him say, I mean, it brought tears to my eyes to see this man who has contributed so much to society. And the fact that he says, this country does not love us back. And you you felt that. you That came from a deep place inside of him. And we all, it resonated with so many people. I mean, the
2: well of despair, Oh, as a professional athlete, um, being put on this pedestal and and is looking through the eyes of your kid, is looking through the eyes of your your teammates' kids, and you're looking through your social media feed to your your, your area um, of of origin, and you you're you're looking at this world and you're like, what am I doing at the at the highest level? I am putting a rubber ball into a rim mm-hmm. and. We understand that that's not the most significant thing in our lives, that we have a greater responsibility to our communities and all of the people who come and watch us in a more meaningful way. So where you see dark, when they think about the well Of history that brought him to that position think about you know I think when we when we look at um, you know Steph Curry and his family LeBron James and his family you were seeing the things that we very much celebrate and love about these players the interaction with their families Mm -hmm. well This is the very issue that they're dealing with. Once you become a parent, you don't turn that off because because you're in a bubble. You, You literally are dealing with all of that reality from your personal perspective, knowing that society just expected you to play basketball and just dribble, and that really deal with something that clearly affects you as a member uh, of, of of this society. So I think that's what Doc was getting to. It was this deep guttural pain that he's saying, I've been looking, I've been watching, I've lived it. And there's no end in sight. And if we don't change something, then we might be having this conversation 10, 15, 20, 30 years from now. And I think everybody's saying we need to have this conversation once and for all. We need to understand that there is never... Ever circumstances where it's okay to murder someone in an interaction with police officers that you literally spend your life paying those very officers. I mean, you have to understand for us, I think people are saying we need to change something desperately. And if we don't, if we don't disrupt it, then we'll be having this conversation in the future again and again and again. And I think players are just trying to do the best they can to just disrupt the situation.
0: Mm-hmm. Ad- Donald, I wanted to ask you about one thing I found very interesting. Uh, did you see this, this referee protest, how they were out they're in the Disney bubble and they went for a walk? They had these shirts on that said everybody versus racism. I was wondering what your take was on that.
2: You know, I, I, I know a lot of those guys, and it, it's so amazing. And, and I think the thing what was awesome about, uh, honestly, about basketball and what happened with basketball is that this was a a cross-sports. You saw it in tennis, you saw it with football, you saw it with baseball, is that there was a coming together in a way that I have not seen before, right? And there is something so amazing about that because it speaks to the power of athletes understand. We always tell athletes they have the moral ability to be role models and stuff like that. And now they're taking that step to make it a little bit more than just role model, to really give it some teeth to be political activists, that we all have the ability to be anti-racist, right? We can't look at what's going on, and America's been looking at what's going on, and they're not happy about it. So I think we have to all ask ourselves the question, what could we do to end what's happening? How do we empower the people... Um, you know, above us to help them to figure out a way through this. Ev- Americans as a whole are, are appalled by what they see out in the public, and they're trying very hard to figure out the mechanism and how we uh, get about to to changing it.
1: But, do you, I mean, I feel like you were ahead of the curve, uh, Donald, on a lot of this, because even as a... a y- you're a young man now, but as a much younger man, you founded uh, democracy, think- <laughs> you know, <laughs> democracy Matters. Which, I mean, you know, that was like in 2001, where you wanted to give students a voice in in what's happening. So tell us a little bit about that and what you saw then that the rest of us are just now seeing. You know, so coming to this country, imagine
2: coming from an island with about 500 people. I can run the entire length of my island in probably 20 minutes from one (laughs) end to the other. It's about three miles, but 1.5 miles. So imagine coming from that. So I grew up where, I, I have this image where my grandmother was on a donkey back going to the polling station when I was very young. And I just remember that being like such a cool thing because by any means necessary. And we knew on the islands, the few people who didn't vote. So voting has always been a big deal, right? And in the Caribbean there is this thing called first past the poll. So in the Caribbean, you could literally lose an election by one vote, right? So it's whoever gets the most vote by one, it's not a a plurality, right? So it's about that one vote uh, plus. So so I grew up thinking that voting is, is very important. So to come to the United States, the cradle of democracy, And when I got here, what I saw was what was most important in our political system wasn't the people, wasn't great ideas. It really was about who could influence our political system Mm -hmm. by dumping a lot of money into our system. So what you're seeing now is that a very small group of people in our society is basically paying almost 80 percent of the money to political campaigns. And as a result, they are at the table rather than the constituencies at large. So you know, if you have money, you get ahead of the line, you get to, seat, to sit at the table. And what I was seeing is that this is antithetical to democracy. You can't have a true democracy that requires everyone to participate and to have a set of facts and how to make decisions. If you are not in that room, then you're not having access to what's truly being done. So campaign finance reform has been a big part of my uh, democracy matters organization we have campuses across the United States and what we try to do is to find ways to fight citizens United the citizen United decision by the Supreme Court in 2010 has unleashed an, an enormous amount of black money dark money into the system and what you're having is politicians, for the for most part are not listening to the constituencies at large they're listening to the people who fund the election so we have to fund fundamentally change the paradigm if money continue to be the way we determine who is who gets to really affect the political system where well, we know that 90% of the world is concentrated in the hands of 1% of the population by in fact we're saying only about 1% of the population will have the means to truly affect global change because they're the one at the table and with money and we need to change that paradigm because in a democracy we need all of its citizens to participate and have a say in the future of our electoral system Wow You got very deep. It's it's
1: that kind of talk that people get angry about because that's why they just want you to dribble and not be aware, informed. And this is why I always just enjoy talking to you because these are the things that are important and things that really matter. You want everyone to have a seat at the table.
2: And I think if you look at what elections is about, if you look at Democrats, Republicans, this is a bipartisan issue. Americans believe there's too much money in the system and they're not being listened to. So it's, it's imagine you can have issues that are 80 uh, percent, the public favors issues like 80 percent, and yet nothing happens. How does that happen, right? It happens because politicians are not truly afraid of the constituencies. They're afraid of the people who pays the bill every single day. And we have to really say, look, a democracy, for it to be effective, we need to have everyone invested into it. And we have to basically advocate For public funding of election we have to see election as a public good right we have to see it as not just i mean what happened to this is not a political thing but what happened at the white house uh, last night, whether or not you're Republican or Democrat, that is illegal. You know, our money should not be used to, to, to really advance one political party. That's why we don't allow even presidents to use the, the White House as a backdrop for the political aspiration. We don't do that. That corruption is at the heart of the end result of the proliferation of money in politics. And until we change it, I think this country is gonna to continue to struggle really living up to the tenants uh, of its true ideals. Well, Well, now you've made people mad. Uh, Hey, well, this has been an interesting
0: episode either way. Just I know people have been watching the backgrounds. Ginger, your cat, Lucky, was going nuts on the chair behind you. Uh, (laughs) O'Donnell, I I saw someone from your family walk through. There are very tall people in your family as well. I think he almost hit his head on the top of the door. (laughs) Oh, it's been fun though. Oh, I'm just God. glad all my kids are out of the house, not doing virtual <laughs> school, school today, or we would have had a lot more glitching and craziness. So this has been a fantastic conversation. We appreciate you spending this time with us and uh, and educating us on some things, Adonnell. You're fantastic. You're you're even better than Ginger had told me.
2: Oh, you know, uh, I miss you guys so much. I can't wait to come visit you guys. We can oh, have this God conversation much.
1: over some yeah. latte. Oh. <laughs> oh yes bring it yeah, on yeah i know we can't travel right now but when you okay. come back to orlando we're gonna hold you to back yeah yeah oh my gosh you you're just delightful and i am glad you made the time for us today because it would have been so easy for you to say no because you are terribly busy i expect to see you running for some sort of office in the near future just please well, let us know no so pressure. we can have that <laughs> yeah, so we can oh well, there's and pressure there, there i people. think <laughs> Uh, it's it's been great. It's been great yeah. talking thank to you, and you thank you so, so much. Adonald, thank,
0: thank you, Ginger Gaston. Of course, you are the best. My name's Matt Austin. This is another edition of Florida's Fourth Estate. Hope you enjoyed it. Thanks for watching. Bye.
2: Thanks, guys.